Blog Talk Radio. Chatting with Sherry. Today we welcome author and professional speaker Mark Leslie. Here's Mark. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sherry. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to have you. I hope you're doing well. I am doing most excellent. Thank you very much. And um, it's really hot here. It's in the the high 80s. What's it like there? Uh, if I translated that to uh, your American... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm an American, is, sorry. No it's about 14 degrees, which would probably make it uh, 64. Uh, 60. That's pleasant. Yeah, very lovely, actually, for this time of year up here in Ontario, Canada. And um, is it beautiful? Is it beautiful there? It is. It is. Uh, has been. Uh, it's. It's overcast now and getting windy. But it was a gorgeous day. Just you know, great. Get outside. Cut the lawn. Do some outside things for a change, which is always refreshing. I was just. Um, I was just watching this documentary with um, Judy Dench about trees. Uh, first of all, I didn't realize that she. I knew she was really into her garden, but I didn't realize how into trees and ecology she was. And really? Yeah, really super into it. Um, she adopted three orangutans, and which I thought wow. was so beautiful of her. She lo- she loves everything, and um, most open-hearted lady. Anyway, they were talking about the trees and how important they are for the environment, which I already knew because they soak in all the bad carbons we've been putting out there right. and but one thing that they said that really freaked me out do you know how trees talk to each other uh no i don't fungi that connect them it's like power lines really there are fungi <clears throat> that just go from tree to tree to tree it's like telephone lines between all the trees that it's oh, that's, wow. thousands, millions of years to develop. They, um, like if there's a dead uh, tree branch underground, the fungi will say, hey, there's a dead tree branch, you can eat it, or one tree doesn't have enough water, so through the fungi they can send water wow. to one of their fellow trees. So if I can extrapolate that so it's kind of like a party line for trees and and the fun guy is the life of the party yeah <laughs> I mean to me I always thought of fungi as mushrooms but you know fungi is so much more it's all those different other type of um, growths that are out there but if it weren't for them we wouldn't have trees that grew forever that survive like if there was a bug invasion they warn each other I it's wow. it's fascinating well you knew trees were alive right I mean you knew uh, that. I've heard I've heard that they were yeah um, but they actually communicate through these lines that the fungi attach to each all the other trees that is fascinating yeah wow. I never I I learned that. I mean, most of the stuff she talked, I I knew about that. That's an. It's a really one thing that was a really cool demonstration. Was um, I watched two of them actually. I watched one about the trees in England, and then uh, her trip to Borneo. Um, and there was this ecologist in Borneo who did a demonstration. Uh, 
via, I'm not sure what it was because I'm not a techie person, but what he did is he went to all the logging areas where they or, or where they put palm plants and, you know, which is basically destroying our environment as all these places are making money from palm oil, but the palm plants are not doing their job with the carbon. They're just, they're not as strong as a regular tree. And uh, so they, um, in the uh, summertime, or is it the wintertime? It was either summer or winter, I can't remember which. If you go over this area, you can, it, 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 it's like no red there. It's not eating any carbon at all. Oh, wow. And then they went to the only virgin forest that's still left in Borneo. Deep, dark red everywhere. It's just, you can see it doing its job, just eating up all of that carbon so it's not in our hemisphere. Wow. It was, I mean, you never saw such a direct, demonstration of what's going on. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. It was just, oh, anyway, I recommend it. They're both really good. Uh, yeah. it, it's the first time I really got involved in one of those. I usually like the David Attenborough stuff, um, like, yeah. you know, um, Blue Planet and stuff like that. But I, I, I love Judy Dench, so anything with her. Um, but the sweetest thing is, is that it's sort of like, I can understand this because in Jewish tradition it's the same. When someone dies, you plant a tree. But she's so sweet, she names each tree the name of the person who passed away. Oh, that is sweet. So, like, when her husband died, that tree was called Michael. When uh, an actor she was very close to died, she named it after him. I mean, every person who leaves her in her life has a tree in her garden in Surrey. Wow, that's really cool. I thought that was the sweetest thing. <laughs> I thought that was the sweetest thing. And, then, and, and when you think about it, a tree memorial is, is, is going to outlast almost any man-made <laughs> thing you could put up, right? Yeah, I mean, there are trees that are thousands of years old. I think the oldest tree is 10,000, they said. Wow. I mean, think about that. 10,000 years old. Think of all the stuff that tree saw. <laughs> yeah, wow. It's something. Well, didn't see, but felt or communicated or whatever tree well, we don't know. They <laughs> <laughs> see a different way. But anyway, it was really, uh, uh, it was scrumptious. And they, they uh, the, the Borneo one is with the, um, the elephants and they're releasing little cute beers back because the bear community uh, had been uh, devastated by poaching and all kinds of stuff. So they uh, released three little bears back into the community and and, and, orang uh, and she got to meet an orangutan that was orphaned. Wow. <laughs> anyway, highly recommend it. Cool. Especially if you like the environment. And I do kind of like the environment. It, and I was saying to my brother, it's not that we're... It, if you're not in a rush to save humanity, how about the rest of the people, people, the animals and the living things that are on the planet that have no say in the matter of what we're doing to it? Yeah, no kidding. I think... It's kind of like uh, one of the ways, one of the ways that I, uh, not that I judge people, but, but I often judge people by how they treat those that can't do anything for them, exactly. right? That they have complete power over. How do you treat other people where, you know, being nice to them or being kind or being compassionate brings you no benefit? Exactly. Like there's no reason for you. It's like you're not kissing up. And the same thing would go for the environment. Well, the environment can't do anything, right? The trees can't do anything if we decide to you know, rip things down or tear things out or, or destroy whatever, right? They're um, they're, they're just powerless, and so I often I often find that as a just sort of a for me it's a judge of character, um, and so similarly the way that people behave in response to their respect for the environment or their respect for uh, you know things around them. Uh, 
you know, living things <laughs> of all kinds. Uh, I don't know. That goes a far away for me. It does. Me too. I just, I, I, okay, let me put it this way. One of my fears is of anything that flies with a stinger. I, bees, hornets, anything like yep. that. But what they do is so important. The bees. Right. The hornets, the the um, the other horrible little flying beasts. I can't remember what they're called. Well, the wasps. They're just wasps. jerks. Yeah, <laughs> wasps. That's the other one. But um, at least bees are cute looking, even though they scare the sh you know what out of me. <laughs> Um, and they make honey, so that's a redeeming feature to me. <laughs> oh my God, they make honey, indeed, indeed. And what no, but like... they also pollinate. There are, I mean, that's how that's how plants uh, reproduce, right? Is the pollination? It's part of the whole way the photosynthesis works. Bees are incredibly in with that. It's all yeah. interconnected with each other. So us destroying bee communities or them becoming killer bees and getting destroyed because of our stupidity with the ecology. These are bad things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and I'm not a fan, but I I think that they absolutely need to survive. I would never kill a bee. I would just have somebody shoo it out of the house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've tried to do the same thing with spiders. Not a fan, scared of them. But you know, can I can I get it out? Can I get it outside? <laughs> Put it on a piece of paper and then shuff it away? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, cockroaches. Um, the other thing that well, I, there's no killing them. Yeah, they're they're like they'll survive a nuclear blast, you know, so they'll survive whatever. But I try I try just to shoo it out. I don't want it in my house. <laughs> <laughs> But the one that was interesting in that show was the dung beetle. I mean, I mean, you know that they were worshipped by the Egyptians, and they they scare yeah. us our dung beetles. But how important they are to the environment. Yeah. What they do, what what the scientists said is, if we didn't have dung beetles, we would be up to our hips in, you know. <laughs> refuge. Yeah, if yeah we'd be in a lot of it if we yeah. didn't have a dung beetle. We would be in it if we didn't have those things. They they, they are a vital part of our environment. <laughs> so if somebody calls you a dung beetle, just know that it's a compliment. I'll just translate it to a beautiful scarab. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's funny because it wasn't that because they didn't know that, but the ancient Egyptians did respect how strong they were because a dung beetle can actually uh, lift ten times their weight. They could. They said that it's the same size as a a big three ton truck. That that's how much they can pick. Those little things can pick up uh, is ten times their weight. I was. That is. Um I'm I, I'm surprised there haven't been a superhero like Dung Man. They have Ant Man. They have Ant Man. Why not Dung Man? Kind of goes and right. with each other. <laughs> I'm just writing that down. Maybe it'll be a story I write one day. <laughs> but it's just it's just all the stuff that's so important to our environment. We really need to respect it, even if you don't like it. It doesn't matter if you like the animal or the creature or the insect. They're, they're they're there for a reason. Every single creature on this planet, and every well, ac actually every living entity, because plants too, it's yeah. all here for a reason. They're 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 all very important. They're not for us to manipulate, no. make money from. That's not what the point is of it. <laughs> it's uh, I mean. Yeah, w w that's the way we have this, uh, for uh, it started with trading services. Like uh, I'll I'll work your your farm if you'll give me some um, meat, or I will help you with horticulture of your crops if you will give me this. And that's how it started, bartering, oldest yeah. way of commerce. But we've made it so big that that is all people think that that's what's important. 
Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, it's important because that's how we live in this society, but there are societies on the planet that still barter. Yeah, that's true. So I, I just think that the world would be a nicer place if we weren't so darn egocentric. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Anyway, that was my lesson today while I was working. Well, that's a good lesson. I mean, I kind of knew it already, but to have it so beautifully... And she was quoting Shakespeare. I mean, Judy Dent's quoting Shakespeare while talk, uh, hosting a documentary. I mean, that's a win-win to me. <laughs> oh, oh, definitely, yeah. She's already a classy lady and then just uh, takes it up a few notches. Yep. Uh, and she's just, a, she's adorable, you know. She's, you know that cute little face when she gets excited. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that, and I, I, it was two things that were on and they both said Judy Dench and I said oh she did two documentaries okay so I watched one and then I watched another one <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they both basically were about the same thing the environment one was about her home England Surrey really Surrey and the other one was uh, Borneo oh cool anyway so that's my wonderful enlightenment for today did you get any incredibly important enlightenment today well apart from this that i just learned of course something you, <laughs> i'm sure something you read or watched influenced you uh you know i was uh i i just recently i was doing a, a talk for a um university uh class on on publishing and I'm there because I've got, you know, 30 years of experience in the book industry as a writer, as, you know, a bookseller, um, somebody who, you know, understands digital publishing. And one of the things that I always find valuable about doing talks like that and sharing my knowledge and the things I've learned uh, about writing and publishing is that there's always a student, there's always somebody in the class who asks really insightful questions that either do one of two things. They help me see something in a new perspective, which is always valuable. Like can, you can always learn from, from someone else. Um, but it also pulls information out that I hadn't already included in my presentation. And, and, and knowing that they asked that question means it's probably helped not just them, but it's probably helped numerous other people who didn't ask that question, but then benefited from it. So. In my mind, there's there's always, um, I mean, regardless of what situation you're in, even if it's a situation where you're meant to be there to inform, entertain, and inspire, there are ways that the other participants there can do the same thing for you. Okay. And 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 that's something that I'm I'm constantly re reminded about. My, one of my favorite one of my favorite authors is Michael Connolly. And he writes the Harry Bosch uh, crime uh, novels, police procedural kind of uh, novels. And Harry Bosch is a character, uh, a detective, a homicide detective. And his mantra, uh, his, the creed that he lives by when investigating a crime is that everybody counts or nobody counts. And so it doesn't matter who's murdered, whether they're you know an important prestigious person from the community or whether they're um, a homeless person or a prostitute or anyone that you know society may look down upon he his job is to solve their murder because everyone deserves justice yeah. and and I think I like I know he's a fictional character but that mantra is something that ever since you know I fell in love with that fictional character that's something that I've been able to apply to my life um, in terms of going out and doing things. Like, for example, I know when I'm on stage and there's 600 people in the audience listening to the, you know, me share some tidbits and advice, I know that there's not a single person in that room that I can't learn and benefit from. Um, and that's, I think that's an important perspective to keep in mind. It's true. And I've always said, and I've said it many times on this broadcast, 
I learn from every person that comes on the show. Something. Yeah. I always do. It, it's it. That's why it's fun, not just to talk about the subject, but to have an exchange of ideas before the subject, because then you're just you're like your perspective on giving a a talk is really cool, and it's true, and it actually sparked a a memory for me. There was this Perot, um, Hercule Perot book, where um, this um, government person, I don't want to give too much away, because I'm not even the title, because it would ruin the book, right. <laughs> so I'm being as oblique <laughs> as I can be, Yeah. Um, he was a really high government official, so he felt because he was important to the government, he should get away with killing three people. Okay. And Perot gives this great speech, is, I'm not here for governments or our nations or uh, peace treaties. I'm here for the individual who do not deserve to be murdered. Right. I thought, that's like the, that's the whole point of these books that people kind of don't get. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I that's mean, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like, and some people really don't like that book, but I that just that part to me is like one of the most important things she said in one of her murder mysteries. Wow, <laughs> amazing. It's it's each individual deserves. If it, if they get killed to have the same kind of treatment as your your detective said as anybody else, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, you know, and also the other thing that she says, and this is throughout her canon, is that if a murder is not caught and there's no one tried for the crime, the suspects will always have a dark cloud over their head of being suspected of the crime and you don't it make them bitter and there will be all kinds of things and people will turn away from them even if they didn't do it because they weren't ever cleared that's also an interesting perspective I would never have thought of myself if I hadn't read it in her wow. books yeah. I mean think about it. unsolved crimes and all these people who were, what did it do to their character that people suspect them every time they walk into a store or a classroom or a, or a gas station or whatever it is? Yeah. So that, what you said kind of sparked that, <laughs> that memory. <laughs> it, it, it's just really fascinating. Um there's so many depths of different things. Every person touches another person in some way, and you may right. never meet them. You, you you may have written a paper, or I may have written a story that touched them, and we never know. But if we never did it, then whatever the character development from that won't happen because we didn't do it. Right, yeah. I mean, that's what, we're so interconnected, and that's why we have to grow up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's true, recognizing that the way that we're all connected, the way that um, the way that things have, uh, the smallest thing could have a huge impact on someone else that you would never even know. It is sad. It's sad that we don't recognize it. That's what I mean. Yeah. But um, but it's just, and there's so many things that you don't know. I mean, have you ever, like, heard a, a conversation in a store that kind of went, oh, it clicked something that you never even thought about? All the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I love, well, back in the day before the pandemic when you would actually be in public and, uh, you know, at a coffee shop or a store or whatever, and you, you're overhearing conversations. I mean, that is, there's so much you can learn from people, even when they don't realize they're teaching you something, because they're having a, they're having a conversation that you can hear. 
um, yeah, there's all there's all there's 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 nuggets of wisdom and jewels of of value that people are, are are dispensing all the time that we can all benefit from just by just by and it's no different, you know, in 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 conversation or in in a place where there's other people. Um, same thing with nature, like just stopping and listening and tuning in to the environment around you, whether it's natural or or you know a human. Uh, human environment like there's just so much that you can hear like to go back to your uh, fungi like the way that they attend to particular elements in the environment around them and the trees communicate with one another through that method because they're actually in tune with something that is probably indecipherable indistinguishable something you can't quite see unless you really pay attention to it yeah oh and there was another thing uh, if you put a microphone against a tree, you would hear like this rumbling noise. Oh, I thought you would hear a bark. <laughs> Very cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that jokes. It, um, a big uh, rumbling noise. You know what that is? What is it? The tree's drinking water. Oh, you can hear the you can hear the ingestion. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's like you know, like I mean, you 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 forget trees are living things because they're there and they're solid to you, and they don't you don't other than their branches and their leaves, you don't really uh, think of movement with a tree. But but then you can put a microphone against the bark and hear this roaring of water going up its branch uh, uh, the tree and that makes the branches which is getting more carbon that's saving our environment i mean wow it's <laughs> it is so amazing uh, and and also when you're out walking in the woods or in a forest or even in a garden and you see a piece of fungi you're thinking Oh, poisonous mushroom. You're not thinking, oh, an internet for the trees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, just think about that. Maybe that's why they're poisonous, because don't touch. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yours. It's for the trees. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just That's what my mind was going to when they were explaining about that. I was like, Maybe that's why they're poisonous, because they don't want them to uproot them and take them out. Um, because it's there, they're there for something that another living thing, not us. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. That's what that's what hit my mind when I when I was hearing that. I I have a strange mind though. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to switch subjects. Uh, so what, how did you start writing? What's your favorite kind of books when you were a kid? I, uh, I've always had a pretty, pretty overactive imagination. And I used to love making up stories and playing with little uh, figures, little stick figures, uh, not stick figures, but little uh, sort of puppets, Fisher-Price finger puppets, and then later on, like, the, the little fig- Fisher-Price figures that would have movable arms and legs and stuff. That's cool. And and playtime for me was always, and, and it's for a lot of children, where really you're, you're, you're manipulating objects, and, and, and there's a story. Right, whether you're you know building a thing with Lego or you're 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 having a tea party with your dolls, there's a story, right? There's people interacting. There's there's people interacting with their environments or with other people and and story. So when I used to play, I used to imagine these stories that were these long serialized stories, and I would go and play, and then it'd be time for dinner, and then I'd come back from from dinner and I would continue it and it was almost like um, I, I read a lot of comics uh, when I was a kid Spider-Man uh, comics uh, when I was young and, and the stories would always continue from you know a month to month or on a, a you know episodic television show where you know you come back after the commercial and it's the same story that just continued they just took a little bit of a pause and so I used to do the same things in my stories 
I would I would have these these long stories that would be drawn out over multiple play times, uh, and I would keep keep them fresh in my head. And then I discovered what I thought was the magic, and is the magic in in, in writing and, and storytelling is the the magic of the permanence that I could put something down on paper, and I could walk away, and somebody else could pick up that piece of paper, and they could experience the thing that I had put there. And it became their story because I shared it. I wrote it. But the minute that they ingested it and and, and, and had to imagine things based on the stick figures or the, the words that I put on a piece of paper. And that, to me, is the beauty of, of writing and storytelling is that suddenly and, – uh, and when you and I were talking uh, a few days ago and we were chatting and we talked about, you know, why something like, you know, Agatha Christie – why we're still thinking about fictional characters like Perot. Why, you know, to go back to Judy Dench and Shakespeare, why we're still putting on the plays that were written hundreds of years ago. Uh, because somebody created something and it, and it resonated with a greater humanity, a greater element of, of, of what, it was, what it is to exist and live and feel. And, and it resonated. So I kind of fell in love with that idea that, wow, you mean I can make up these stories? I can make up these things and other people can read them and, and I can actually potentially make a living off that one day? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's kind of where I, I realized I don't think I had a, I don't think I had a choice. I, I think I, I need to be a storyteller and almost everything that I do, whether it's writing itself, whether it's chatting with you, whether it's doing, you know, sharing silly dad jokes uh, that I put on a sign in our front front yard and I change it up every day so that when people can walk by, they can look over and hopefully it makes them laugh or, you know, maybe roll their eyes and wonder what's wrong with the person who lives here. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, sharing parody videos on YouTube, like any of those things in my mind is really just me uh, exacting my my innate desire to to want to be a storyteller. Yeah, I I understand that completely. I, you're, I think everybody's creative in their own way. Um, people always say that I'm not creative. I'm not creative. Well, you are. You just are creative in a different way than, like my mom was a really good artist, but she wasn't an artist in. The, I mean, she could sketch and stuff like that, but what she was really right. great at is creating needlepoint. Right. Beautiful tapestry-style needlepoint that looks like it should be in a museum. Um, you know, my brother's a great cook, which is a very creative thing. I, of course it is, yeah. It, it, there's so many ways to be uh, gardening, uh, creating beautiful things outside. I Everything that you do that creates some kind of beauty, whatever it may be, that's creativity. It really is, yeah. And it's what makes the world go around. I mean, yeah. think about how sad the world would be without those other types of abilities. I mean, stories, plays, books are very important, but so is visual arts and food and, and gardens. It's all important. Yeah. I uh, I saw a meme earlier today that said the earth without art is just eh. <laughs> well, I think that's a little harsh. <laughs> well, no, no, but, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stretch that. So you, we may think of art in, in terms of you know drawings and paintings and sculptures and stuff like that, but I I think art is all of those things you just talked about. The the cook who mm-hmm. is not just creating a meal, but is creating a unique work of art that is digested uh, by other people. Uh, the needlepoint is creative. The the way that people can love one another is is, is creativity and art, and nature itself is so artistically beautiful, mm-hmm. right? There's so many, the, the sound that the tree makes rumbling. That, that's just, yeah. It's an art form. That's right? art, yeah. And the, the beauty, they were showing in Borneo that the treetops 
some were green and some were like a lighter color. That was it yeah. blossoming. Those were the flowers. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was beautiful. It just, it, it, there's so much beauty out there. We need to appreciate it more. We really do, yeah. But like I was trying to say, though, I just it is there's there's more to creativity. The arts is very important. The arts is something that you can you don't have to buy it to enjoy it. I prefer to go to a museum. I like yep. to, I like shared art. I like going to a library. I like going to well you know right now we can't do anything but when we can I want to go back. <laughs> Yeah, of course. I like to go to hotels so I can see their beautiful gardens. Um, yeah. Stuff like that. I like to stare at the ocean and watch dolphins playing with each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's so much more than just sitting watching television. Uh, yeah, there is, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, this is going to sound so strange. There are times at night when I can't sleep that I'll go into the living room and I won't turn the lights on. I'll just look out. My brother always leaves the kitchen window open. And I'll just look at the lights that are out there. The stars, the lights of some of the buildings, just all the pretty lights. And it just kind of calms me. It, it, it really doesn't, it's just pretty. Um, yep. And I may be the only one that uh, in the back window that looks out and sees that. It may just see, oh, you know, the store lights and the stars right. could be. But that's the way I see it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, there, there's there's a there's a majesty in moments like that because, again, you are creating art out of that moment. You're creating uh, power, and you're recognizing the elements that make up what you're looking at as individual elements, but also as elements that work in collaboration with one another. So, yeah, I, I definitely see the power in, in moments like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just like looking at the ocean. I mean, really, what are you looking at? You're looking at the water coming in, and you're looking at the water going out, and you're looking at the water coming yeah. in, and you're looking at <laughs> I mean, and you're you, looking at the water affected by a planet, uh, a planet, a moon, a moon right? A moon. Affected by gravitational pull from from something that, you know, most of us are never going to uh, set foot on. Yeah. <laughs> and yet it's having an impact on what we're watching. Yeah. And all of the life forms that are part of that water that's flowing in and out, and never mind the fact that water does sustain life, at least on our planet, for for, for the creatures that roam on our planet. And humans are very much affected by the moon. Our cycles, different yeah. uh, different cycles, uh, birth cycles, um, the psychological cycles, all kinds of stuff. Even though it's not here, it's, it's not close, that moon is so important to us. <laughs> well, I mean, that is where the term um, uh, loon came from. It came from lunar. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it, funny you talk about the moon is I'm, I'm working on the next, book in my Canadian werewolf series and well my main character is dramatically affected by the moon <laughs> as most werewolves are <laughs> what's that? I said as most werewolves are <laughs> yeah I get, there, there's, a, there's a cycle I guess I go wait well, how does this, this this thing in the sky how does that affect the person's chemistry of their body <laughs> well it can affect lakes and oceans and volcanoes and all the other liquids, the core of the earth sometimes. I mean, yeah. uh, the, the, the wave of radiation that comes from the sun. We, the moon actually protects us from that as well as the, um, the, the green light. I forgot what it's called. Yeah. The aurora. Yes. But I think it's beautiful, and I think it's important, and I think... We need to recognize that we're part of. We're not. It's not just us. We're a, we're a, okay. This part is always freaks some people out, but this is true. We're on a small galaxy on the corner 
of that galaxy on a tiny little planet <laughs> that's like just one out of the small minor suns. The egotism yep. of humans is just amazing. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, it, and, and the more you find out about astronomy, it's just it opens up vistas that you some people wouldn't be able to take. Yeah. Because it goes against some of their views. And I won't go any further than that. But I find it super fascinating. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love astronomy. I love archaeology. I love anything that makes, you know, tells us what make, what's the world about? What's the universe about? What's our part in it? All that stuff comes from science, and all that science is cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess because I had an archaeological background, I was an archaeology student, so I, I'm yeah. a little little prejudiced there. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, now, your, your, your new book is, um, was it, did you say to me that it was about New York, or is that a different one? Uh, that's, uh, my, my main character, uh, the, the first book in my Canadian Werewolf series was a Canadian werewolf in New York, but my latest one, um, is called Fear and Longing in Los Angeles. Oh, that's right. So he, yeah, he, he, he's got a temporary, um assignment to go work in Los Angeles for a, a couple of weeks and so he is a he is a New York a Canadian New York werewolf but uh, he's going to go check out Hollywood and see what's going on down there what a mix yeah a Canadian American werewolf <laughs> well I wanted to have uh, this this guy from a small Canadian town very similar to like where I grew up being like this meek mild mannered sort of um uh, just a pushover, right, in terms of a guy who happens to be an alpha wolf. So he's an alpha wolf, beta human, living in the Big Apple. And I was like, okay, one of the biggest, well, one of the largest cities in the world, uh, but, uh, you know, in North America, and say, well, what would it be like for this, this pushover <laughs> to, to have to live with the side effects of being a wolf? So when he's a wolf, he's strong and powerful. And when he's a human, he still has some heightened senses and powers. But as a human, he's not an alpha he is more of a, um, you know, you think of that stereotypical polite Canadian uh, who wouldn't say dung if he had a mouthful of it, <laughs> that kind of thing. And so I had a lot of fun writing this sort of humorous adventure, trying to understand what it would be like to live with the side effects of being a wolf. So, for example, he, in, you know, in the opening scene of the first novel, a Canadian werewolf in New York, he wakes up naked in Battery Park in Manhattan with a bullet in his leg no memory of the night before when he was a wolf, the taste of human blood in his mouth and wondering what the heck he had done the night before. So not only does he have to figure out what happened, but he has to find clothes <laughs> so he could get home because he's completely naked and he's far from home. And I was thinking, what would it be like to have to deal with the side effects of that? Where, where, was um, he, where did you leave him that when he woke up? Uh, Battery Park, which is on the southern tip of uh, Manhattan, uh, near uh, near the uh, Staten Island Ferry, and where you see the um, Statue of Liberty. Okay, there are places he could get clothes. Oh yeah, there's places you can get clothes, but when you don't have a wallet and you don't have no, uh, no. whatever, like you're you're looking for things okay. that have been discarded. Yeah, I mean like laundry and 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 poor um, homeless people's clothes that might be left in a bundle or something like that. Not just discarded whatever, right? And yeah. that's kind of what he has to do is he has to um, he has to navigate his way. You know, there's a scene where he barters with a bag lady. Um, because he had grabbed, you know, one of those signs like "Eat at Al's Burgers" yeah. you know, that people would wear. Yeah. So he managed. He found a sign like that that was abandoned, and because he he just didn't have pants, he's walking around with his sign, and then he encounters a bag lady who's got like this shopping cart filled with stuff, and he's bartering because she wants his sign, and he's like, "I'd love to see if you have a pair of pants in that bag that I could wear." And so they're they're kind of negotiating together, and. 
and I had a lot of fun, uh, like having him try to navigate. And in the meantime, he's also he does superhero kind of things because when he sees people in need or in trouble, he has heightened senses, so he picks up on the fact that oh my god, uh, they really need my help, and he can't he can't not help them. He's a bit of a boy scout in that in that manner. So that was that was kind of a fun. It's been a fun series to explore. To put Michael, uh, that's his, uh, his name, to put him in some really precarious situations and just, actually what I just do is I throw him in the situation and then, and then as, I, as I watch him react to what happens, that's where the story comes. Oh my God, that's so funny. Um, it, it, I don't know if you watch um, like USA TV series. Yeah. Did you ever see a show called Burn Notice? Uh, no, I'm not familiar with that one. My name is Michael Weston, and I used to be a spy. And that's the way, he, he even though he's not a werewolf, all his spy training goes to help people because he, he's a good spy, but he was burned. Oh, cool. He was burned because of a whole different conspiracy and stuff like that, that they wanted to use him for dark art, uh, dark art ops and he didn't want to do dark ops so he was doing anything he could so basically he made money by being sort of a spy detective <laughs> oh that's neat yeah but when you were saying that he he's a boy scout and he wants to help people all the time but then his name was michael on top of it i was like oh <laughs> my god <laughs> And you can see how many times I've seen the show. The opening, I think the show is six years, and they never changed that opening. It was always, oh, my cool. name was Michael Weston, and I used to be a spy. I mean, the rest of it changed as the season, the series changed, but that little sentence always stayed the same. So yeah, that's cool. ingrained in my head. It's sort of like... Uh, life, uh, civilizations and and new worlds and to go where no man has gone before some kind of thing. Yeah. It's in your <laughs> exactly. Head. <laughs> um, sorry, I I just popped into my head as you were talking about your Michael. <laughs> of course. Um, is the book out now? Yeah, yeah, it's been out. It came out a couple months ago. Uh, it's available on pretty much all retailers. It's a hardcover, paperback, ebook, and. Uh, and audiobook. Cool. And what is your association with Writers of the Future? Can you tell the audience about it? Yeah. So uh, these are a really great group of people that I, I met. I think I met them in person for the first time at Frankfurt Book Fair in, in Germany. And um, and they invited me to come uh, do a, a keynote talk at one of the Writers of the Future events. And what, what the Writers of the Future is, is it was... L. Ron Hubbard's desire uh, as a very successful uh, writer of, of, of lots of amazing, like he's written in, I know a lot of people think of him as a science fiction writer, but he's written in almost every genre imaginable. He's written, uh, you know, uh, pulp uh, fiction and crime and mystery and, and uh, westerns and uh, all kinds of things, hundreds of books. And he channeled uh, money into a fund to help beginning writers. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the Writers of the Future first uh, originated in the early 1980s. And what it is, is it's a, an amazing contest that uh, beginning writers can submit stories to, so long as they they uh, have not uh, sold their works professionally. So it's for amateur, like beginning writers. The whole idea is to, to prop up new writers and discover new talent. And they have an award ceremony in L.A., which is you know where my latest novel is set, uh, because my first visit to L.A. was thanks to, to the good folks at Writers of the Future, and uh, and they have this great contest where writers can can win some some great prizes. Um, they get published in a phenomenal anthology, the Writers and Illustrators of the Future, or I think it's L. Ron Hubbard presents the Writers and Illustrators of the Future, and they get to spend a week in L.A. with some of the most amazing professional writers who've been in the business for decades and decades and they get to learn directly from these talented science fiction and fantasy writers uh dave farland or dave wolverton uh is the is the lead editor of the anthology and there's so many great folks that they get to hang out and interact with and and i remember the time i spent in la with them was such a phenomenal experience because i had already 
been in the industry for a while, but I was thinking about these, these, you know, I think of them as this, the young students who's, this is their first professional sale. And they got to spend a week in LA <laughs> learning from some of the top writers in the industry. And then having amazing, uh, I, I got to speak at a black tie gala event and uh, I went on stage right after Orson Scott Card w won the Lifetime Achievement Award. So I got to be the very first person to congratulate him as I was walking on stage and he was walking off. So that was a really cool moment for me. Uh, and then, uh, you know, just seeing this black tie event that they were celebrating these winners, uh, these writers and, and illustrators whose, whose talent was just so profound and amazing. So, um, yeah, so it was really, really fun. Uh, to end up writing a story and, and having my character walk through the same streets that uh, I, I walked with some of the some of these writers and uh, other um, professional writers and the, and the good folks from the writers of the future and uh, and then of course uh, recently I'd had uh, a couple of the folks that I know from there uh, recently read uh, about Michael Andrews and really uh, resonating and, and they hadn't even read the, the the LA one yet which is you know where they live so it's like I'm curious to see what they think of that but yeah, just um, just an amazing experience for for anyone who's uh, a writer. Just the the ability of, of of submitting your short story to a market like that, and and the opportunities that exist are just, you know, like I you know to to be a little bit cheesy when I say this because we're talking about science fiction. It's like nothing in this world. <laughs> <laughs> you think so, huh? Uh <laughs> <laughs> Out of this world, we you know pick pick a cliche. <laughs> what star system? No. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, we've come to the end of the show. I want to thank you for coming on, but I also do you have a website? Are you on social media? Yeah, uh, thanks, Sherry. I am all over the social media. So I'm on I'm on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Um, uh, TikTok, but you can find links to pretty much most of my social media over on my website, which is marklesley.ca. Perfect. Thank you, Mark, for taking the time out of your day to come on my show. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Sherry. It's always great to chat with you. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry.